most touching. And I just love at the very end of that, their rest was disturbed after uh, Jesus sends them out on mission. Finally, they get to do the work. Finally, they get to go to San Francisco and they're sharing the gospel and they're relying on God for the finances to come in and for, uh, for the food and everything else that they might need. And then you, you see this truth of John the Baptist of, of how when he speaks truth, sometimes the world is not like that. And, and in his case, is, uh, he got his head chopped off. <laughs> um, but he was imprisoned because he spoke the truth and he was martyred for his faith. And Herod, who had his own little party, uh, which was full of uh, sensuality and lust and perversion. And, and meanwhile, Jesus is feeding the 5,000 and he has his own feast as literally foods coming out of his hand. He's creating food, fish that never died, bread that was never planted. And he was able to do that, showing that truly again, Mark saying, he's God, he's God, listen to him. Don't ignore this truth. Don't just Look at it, oh, just another familiar story that I learned in Sunday school. But that, as you saw, that the, the rest that Jesus was providing for the, for the disciples, for their mission journey, it was disrupted. It was uh, because of the needs of the, the, the masses. There was 25,000 people that were miraculously fed. But then at the end, that small little detail of Everybody's fed. In fact, the, the Bible says that they were gorged. They, they were fully satisfied. It was, you know, when you get out of a buffet, you just feel like, it's like, oh, they got to roll me out of this place. Well, they needed to roll them out of that area because they, were, they ate and they were satisfied. They had enough, more than enough to eat. And the small detail of, of Jesus saying, check your pouches, check your lunch bag. And as they looked, there was enough for them for the next journey. And they got to rest. They got to see that Jesus truly does provide. Jesus said he will provide for us as you go on a mission. And then he literally demonstrates that again, that you don't have anything to worry about. Look, all your finances for the mission trip are gonna be, they're gonna be provided for. Everything that you need is gonna be provided for. We need to trust God. That's what he's saying, passage after passage, that he is God. We can trust him. He's the good shepherd. This week, another very familiar passage, Jesus walking on the sea. Uh, this is another one you probably read so many times in Sunday school. These are very familiar passages. And what I want to do this morning is, is just show you again that Christ demonstrates such care for his sheep such care for his sheep. He really, truly cares for us. Just even pause for a moment, just even think through this week, just even this week alone, how has he cared for you? Has he cared for you through encouragement, through miraculous provision, through just a camaraderie for, for your spouse and that you get to walk unashamed with someone so intimately like that? What a gift. Your family, people who come and help with practical needs. He truly is a shepherd who cares for his people. But I wanna teach you five ways through this passage, through Jesus walking on the sea, I wanna show you five ways he reaches our hard hearts. 
Because if you look here, just skipping down, uh, we're going to start with 45. But as you look at uh, verse 52, it says that they did not get any insight from what we just saw in last, last week with the feeding of the 5,000. Because it says that their hearts were still hardened. But yet we see in the next phase, the next, the next chapter, the, uh, actually, in fact, John 6 fills in. It says that they do believe and you are, he is the Holy One of Israel. And how, how did they come to that conclusion? And I want to show you how they came to that conclusion and how God, again, rescues them and softens their hardened hearts. And all of us have that. We all have hardened hearts. And so I think this will be really more of an encouraging message for us because I think we could all find ourselves where the disciples are. And we see these amazing, how we could be so close to the action, how we can watch week after week the word being preached and how we can, how we can be a part of God's mission and, and seeing his miraculous provision. And yet at the same time, how do we find ourselves with hardened hearts and how Jesus continues to pursue us and continues to reach us in, in, in such profound ways. And I want to show you those five ways and how he reaches all of us. Starting with verse 45, it says this, and immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. And so number one, I want to show you that Jesus providentially cares for us. This is that one way he reaches our hearts is he providentially moves us where he needs us to go. And, and why do I say that? It's because it says immediately, which is euthus is, is, is in the Greek for, and you see that immediately over and over and over in Mark. It's, he's moving us quickly through this gospel to show us that he is truly the son of God. <clears throat> One of the things he says here is he made them get into the boat. He made his disciples, he's like, you need to go into that boat now. Why did he say that? Why did Jesus immediately, hey, no rest, I'm resting, you're going, these crowds have to go away, and we'll see in a moment why he does that, and he does that for our protection. You see, the crowds, they were excited, and you have to look at John 6, and we're going to read that a little later, but John 6 fills in all the gaps. It fills in from basically from verse 44 to 45, it fills in these gaps. Where did they go? Like these, these guys were uh, waking up in the morning as we ended last week. They wanted another free lunch. They, they, they wanted more from Jesus. They, they, they wanted him to line up with their political plan that Jesus was gonna be king and overthrow Rome. And Jesus wanted to protect them from that ideology. It's like parents trying to protect their kids maybe from the internet or from when they're, when they're too young. They can't, they can't use the internet by themselves. It's Jesus wants to protect his people because right now, I mean, it, it, as it says in verse 52, their hearts were still hardened. They, they didn't quite understand fully why Jesus was coming and they got to see literally bread come out of his physical hands miraculously. Who wouldn't want a genie like that for a God? You know, and, and, and as soon as you start, you know, judging these guys, be careful. Because I think we're the same way. 
You know, we don't want him to be a, a king over our finances, do we? Our sex life, schooling, work life, our marriages. Many of us just want, I mean, in much of the church, right, especially even in America and maybe even some parts of South America and Africa, I mean, we want this king to be uh, someone who gives us health and wealth and prosperity and, and security. Or maybe even for us, we want America to go back to the way it was. We want it to be politically conservative. We want Jesus to be the political king to rescue us from all the bad people. We're the same way. And at this critical moment, this critical time, Jesus is saying, get in the boat. You got to get away from these guys. This is poison to your ears. You keep watching Fox News. You keep watching the news. You keep watching the political stuff you, you, and, and the mixture of po- politics and Christianity. You, you keep doing that. It's going to ruin your faith. You got to be careful of that. Don't just, you know, after a long day, I know like a lot of times, you know, when you, you come from a long day, you have a big day at work and you're exhausted. What do you want to do? You kind of just want to what? Sit on the couch, relax, just catch up on the what? The news. And when you're down and you're not rested and you're tired, it's easy for the enemy to come in and plant mixture, lies. And Jesus is saying they don't have, they, they don't have the faith for this. I care much about these guys. and I am willing to send them out on a boat and they were going to hug the coastline. They, they, were south, they, they were south of Bethsaida. They were going to hug the coastline to get to Capernaum which is kind of the, the, the ministry hub. And Jesus was going to meet them later on. He said, get out now, get out now. Because this, this crowd of people, this, can you imagine trying to get rid of sending home 25,000 people after they just got a free lunch and they're hungry the next morning? Sorry, you know, it, it, it wasn't probably an easy thing to do. But he sends them away And they end up finding a way to come back, as we'll see in John 6. They all come back. But John 6, 38 says something very specific about Jesus' plan. It had nothing to do with giving out a free lunch. It had nothing to do with overthrowing Rome. Nothing to do about being the political king of Israel. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And I love this. It says here in John 6, 15. So Jesus, knowing that they were going to come and take him by force. These people were going to mob him and take him by force and say, you're our king. You've proven to be our king. We want you to overthrow Rome. We want you to make everything right again. Now they were, I mean, there was some truth to that, right? So what did Jesus do? Something probably all of us would never do if we had people wanting to give us more power and authority, what did he do? He withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. What was he doing? In verse 46, it tells us that after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Now, throughout Jesus's ministry, and I wanna say this first, is that Jesus is not 
subpar to the Father. He's equal to the Father. The Spirit is equal to the Son and the Father. There's, there, there's what is called, theologians call the Trinity. You won't find the Trinity in the Bible in that term. There's no Greek word for Trinity that you'll see in the Scriptures. But we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are equal, one God and three persons. And they are of the same substance of God, but yet they are distinguished, they're different in that they have different roles as far as the work of salvation in our life, but they have one will to save you from your sin. And so while Jesus in Philippians 2, he gave up, he didn't give up his deity, but he gave up his rights. He he came down to earth as a servant and, and he, he willingly submitted to the Father in his ministry to save us. And that's very important. And so he was dependent, so to speak, on his Father in his incarnation. Mark one thirty five. and early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus rose up and went out of the house and went away to a desolate place, and he was praying there. He modeled dependence on the Father. And we'll sh- it will show you in a moment what he was actually doing and how that affected the disciples throughout this passage. Luke 6, 12, he says he went off to the mountain to pray and he was spending the whole night in prayer. And what he was doing there is he was praying, Father, who do you want me to choose to walk with me? In other words, who do you want me to invest in in order to change the world? And he the father gave him those people. He gave him the 12 disciples. Luke twenty two forty one to 44, he knelt down and began praying, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. One of the things Matthew Henry says is a good man is never less alone than when alone with God. Jesus loved to be with God. And when we are with God, we're never alone. He's with us. And he enjoyed fellowship with the Father. He enjoyed, do you enjoy prayer? Do you enjoy it? Do you just look at it as a duty or do you look at it as a privilege, an honor that you get to be with the Father? You're never, ever alone. And Jesus, not only that, he not only prays to his Father, but specifically he prays for us as the high priest. He came as the Son. As the Son, he's praying to the Father and he's, he's not saying, hey, how can I overthrow Rome? But he's coming to care for his people. He's rescuing, he's gonna come and rescue his people here in a moment. But he, he wants to reach our hearts through prayer. He reaches our hearts through his, uh, his providence and moving us where he wants us to be for our own protection. But he also reaches us through prayer when we are weak. In Hebrews 2.17, over and over, the, the scriptures show us that he is our high priest who prays for us. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in all things so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in these things pertaining to God to make a propitiation for, his sin, for the sins of the people. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This idea of the intercession of Christ is not often talked about. But I'll tell you, this one truth will give us such hope and confidence and assurance of our salvation. I've heard, you know, people even coming up to me, some of the elders are saying, yeah, as I'm with the people and in life group or discipleship, they're asking, how can I be more assured of my salvation? The intercession of Christ. 
Do you think his prayers are answered? You better believe they are. It also says here in Romans 8.34, Christ is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And then in 1 John 2, 1, it says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. This is an assurance, but if you wanna know that you are saved, read 1 John. At first, you'll probably like, I'm clearly not saved. And then as you read further, you'll see uh, how the, the writer of John wants you to be assured and confident in your salvation, to give you that hope, that confident hope throughout your day, practically. But it says here that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In other words, when we find ourselves in need or in sin or hard-hearted, we have an advocate. We have someone we can literally go to and say, I'm, I'm coming up short again in my life, which is a daily basis, by the way. But he, the perfect one, our advocate, one who is our helper, our comforter. It's the same word that's used to, uh, to, to refer to the Holy Spirit, our advocate, our, our, our uh, parakletos. It, it's our comforter, someone who comes alongside of us and helps us in our time of need. You're like, no one's here to help me. I have no help. I mean, I've, I've often said, I'm like, oh, I feel so alone. I feel, and then I realize, no, I have an advocate that's with the Father. And I have the Holy Spirit who has been sent by the Son, been sent by the Father to comfort me, who lives inside of me, who, who intercedes for me also, as it says in Romans. So we have the Holy Spirit interceding for us, and we have the Jesus, the Son, interceding for us. What, what more could we ask for is what the Scriptures are saying. Romans 8 is assurance that God who justifies us, He will ultimately glorify us. Why? Because He lives in you. And nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is praying for his, his own on that mountain. You know, he sends them away and that might but look, wow, he's sending them away. He's, he's kicking, he's, he's just saying, hey, see you later, bye. No, 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 no. He has a plan, a providential plan. He's like, your ears cannot tolerate this. This is how people think. They use God for their political plan. And he's saying, look, I want to send you away because I'm going to show you in a moment what I really came for. I came for for relationship. I came to save you. I came to show you that I'm God. Yeah, I'm, I'm God over the Romans, but that is, I came first to die. I came first to be killed but I am coming back to kill all my enemies. They will all perish when I come back. He came as a lamb first, and then he comes as a lion second. And what a glorious thing. That is also to comfort us as believers. To say that, look, if the, 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 the worldly schemes, the governments, the, they're not gonna last. Read Revelation. It comes with a great promise. Who wins in the end? Jesus. What do we have to worry about? Should we influence? Should we pray for? The governments? Yes, absolutely. 
But that's not why Jesus came, to set up the first time a kingdom, physical kingdom. He came the first time to set up a spiritual kingdom, and he'll come the second time to to bring the new heavens and the new earth, a physical kingdom where he'll rule and reign, and there won't be any bad guys, no thoughts, no sinful thoughts. What a wonderful and amazing thing we have to look forward to. But he wants them to know this, and they did not know this at first. Miracle after miracle after miracle, you would think after six chapters of showing them over and over and over again, if him casting out demons, if of healing the sick, raising the dead, discourse after discourse, and they're still hard-hearted. Man, I don't know about you, but I find myself right there. That I need a savior to continually pursue me, not just once, but all the time. I need someone to, to reach our heart, our, our hard hearts, to reach my hard heart. And Jesus is praying for them. What a wonderful thing in John 17. I don't have time to read it, but read that later. John 17, 6 through 26. Look at how he prays for his own. How incredible that language is beautiful. And how he prays for us. How he says, protect them, Father. May they be one, Father. May they know the truth, Father. I don't think there's a greater truth in scripture than the intercession of Christ. Listen to what William Gurnall, he's a, a, a Puritan. He says this, Christ seizeth, Christ seizeth not to work his, by his intercession with God for us and by his spirit in and for, for God, whereby he upholds his saints, their graces, their comforts in life, without which they would run to ruin we would absolutely make a mess of ourselves in our lives without the intercession of Christ. And he wants his people to know how important it is that even in the midst of our trials and tribulations right here on earth, there is something happening in heaven right now called the intercession of Christ. And that should bring great comfort to all of us. Practical comfort. Not just some sort of theological, you know, understanding, abstract understanding, but something concrete that he's literally praying for his own all the time. He never ceases. And that has implications in our life every day. D.A. Carson, a, a theologian, says this, the, the plan of redemption is as much the father's design as the son's. This is very important in Trinitarian theology. The image of Christ's intercession must not be teased out to suggest that he is talking the father into doing something the father doesn't want to do or that he has to remind the father of the significance of the cross because otherwise the father might forget. It's not, in other words, it's not Jesus saying, like tapping the father, like, like do you know what I did? Can, you know, I know you're angry, but you know, I, I just want you to love that guy who's making a mess of his life. Could you... No, they're unified. They're one in the plan of salvation. In other words, it's such intimacy that's happening between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're eternal beings. They never had a start. There was always love between the Trinity. There was always, a, 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 they, were, they, they had no needs. They didn't need to create us in order to love us. They had love between them for all of eternity. And they simply wanted to share that glory with his, their creation in that sense. 
What a wonderful truth. It is not Jesus pleading with the father as if he had Alzheimer's. He's saying, don't you remember? Don't you remember? Don't you remember? The father clearly remembers. He's the one who sent the son to come after you, to rescue you out of bondage, out of sin. And he's simply reminding, he's simply, uh, not reminding, he's simply showing us how incredibly unified that if the father comes and and, 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 uh, decrees that you will be saved and elects you, predestines you, then, then the son will come uh, from heaven and actually accomplish that work of redemption in your life. And not only that, but then the spirit comes and applies that work of redemption in your life. You are totally 100% secure in Christ. You're in Christ. It's not so much, I, I remember one guy saying, you know, it, it, it's not so much do you, you tell a believer, do you believe in Jesus? Is that what it means to be a Christian? The, the, the real question is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Because if you are, you're totally secure. Who's gonna take you out of Christ? No one. No one has that power to do that. In fact, not even yourself. And so he's showing us how incredibly important this is. Another, another one said this. I, I love what... Uh, what Thomas Watson says, he's another Puritan. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. And I'll tell you what, the disciples got to experience a little bit of that as we read through this chapter about Jesus coming and rescuing his people. Let's go on to verse 47. And when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land and seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. I love that he came to them walking on the sea and he he was intending to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately He spoke with them and said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped and they were utterly amazed. Number three, Jesus pursues us. When we drift, he pursues us. You see that happening in your life. Every time you drift, every time you seem to go astray, or every time you seem to, to you know, start, your heart starts to harden, isn't it interesting how the Lord will come and pursue us and rescue us? And there's a wonderful illustration to see that here. And so they were in the middle of the sea. They weren't supposed to be in the middle of the sea. They were supposed to, if you have a map of Galilee, they were supposed to, to just literally hug the coast to get away, to get over to Capernaum from Bethsaida. And that was their ultimate destination. But this time, as opposed for Jesus being in the boat, Jesus was on the land. And that's a, a, a Mark shows us that. It says, when in the evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea. They were in the middle of the sea and Jesus was on some mountain praying. You could almost sense the frustration in the disciples. What in the world is Jesus doing while we're in a storm? First, he's sleeping and now he's not even with us. What in the world is happening, right? 
This is the fourth watch, which just means it's about three to six a.m. Nothing ever good happens then, right? Jesus finally comes to their aid around then, three to six a.m., the fourth watch. And a violent storm arose. And John 6, 18 said there's violent winds. Or Matthew 14, 24, it says there are crushing waves against the boat. This is the same scenario. The only difference is, as opposed to Mark 4, 35, is Jesus isn't there. Which, frankly, probably is even more terrifying. It says they were struggling at the oars, which means they were just struggling to survive. They're like, we are going to die if something doesn't happen. This is sad. We got to see a miracle. This is amazing. Jesus is saying all these amazing things, and now we're going to die. How many times do you find yourself there, right? How many times does God have to prove that he loves you, he rescues you, only then to have a moment where you find yourself in a place where you feel like you're going to die, you feel like you're not going to have the money, or you feel like you're in a crisis moment, and you're like, God, where are you? We do that over and over and over and over again. And here, just another little thing to add to this, is they were obedient they, they heard the Lord say, get in the boat. And they're like, hey, we're getting in the boat. We're going in the boat. But I would, I would argue that it wasn't that quick because if Jesus said, he, if, if Jesus had to make them get in the boat, they were probably like, hey, I want to stay here. The crowds are saying some very interesting things and it might benefit all of us. But nonetheless, they got in the boat. Have you ever found yourself there? I'm like, I'm, I'm struggling against the wind, but yet <laughs> I obeyed. I obeyed. The flesh starts coming up and justifying, I don't deserve this. I did everything you told me to do. And while it's true, you'll never have to fear anything if you obey, right? But when we're experiencing it, we do question, don't we? Why am I against the wind? Or why is the wind, I should say, why is the wind against us, even in our obedience? And Jesus was even showing them something. He said, I want them to endure hardship. And I know they're gonna encounter this later in ministry. They need to, that for the winds to be against them. They need to, to be at a place where they'll always trust me. We don't like that as Christians. I don't like that. I don't like to be, I don't like the winds to be against me, especially when I'm in a place of obedience. I can understand if they, if they refused to get in the boat and, and all of a sudden they're walking along the shore and some, some storm came and pushed them off into the, 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 the ocean and the waves and, and they were at a place where they could drown and say, well, we, sh- we should have gotten the boat. No, they got in the boat and the winds were still against them. That is a perfect picture of a believer who's in the will of God who's obeying, who's going to life group, who's, 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 who's loving their neighbors, who's, who's uh, giving uh, generously, who's, who's, who's constantly in, uh, loving people around them. They're doing everything they're supposed to do. And yet, why do I find myself in this trial? This isn't fair. This isn't right. And Jesus had a plan for them. And although Jesus was not in the boat, 
He always knows where his people are. He always knows where we are. Proverbs 15, three says, the eyes of Yahweh are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Job 31, four says this, he did not see my ways and a number, does he not see my, all my ways and number all my steps? Jeremiah 16, 17, for my eyes are on, my eyes are always on them. Uh, my eye, excuse me, for my eyes are on all their ways. It's a typo. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. Second, or Second Chronicles 16, nine, for the eyes of Yahweh move to and fro throughout the earth. And he strongly supports those who have a heart who is fully devoted to him. He sees where, where we are at all times. God, where are you? He sees you. As soon as we say, God, where are you? Do you, do you know what you're, what's happening right here? Do you know what's going on? Yes, I do. I know exactly what's going on and I'm interceding. We don't believe that. We don't believe that he's interceding. He's encouraging us through his word. We get so caught up in, in the waves and that is, Jesus knows that. That is normal. I'm not saying to ignore the waves or ignore kind of mind over matter kind of thing. It's obviously that we're in a trial. It's obvious that there's these things happening in our life that are totally out of our control. But Jesus is comforting us through, this, through his word saying in Hebrews 4.13, there's no creature out of his sight. There's no creature that is hidden. He sees everything. And I love what the psalmist says here in 139, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, behold, you are there. If I lift up uh, the wings of the dawn, I dwell in the remotest part of the sea. Even there, your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay a hold of me. You know, if they, they could have even remembered, maybe perhaps they, 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 it came up as they were in this boat and the waves were crashing against the boat, waves were coming into the boat. And they're in that same situation we saw earlier in Mark 4. They could have, this could have come to mind in Psalm 93. It says, the rivers lift up the pounding, up their pounding waves, more than the voices of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea. Listen, Yahweh on high is mighty. Did they believe that? They were in a crisis. In fact, you can make an argument. They were in a crisis since they saw the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But yet they didn't believe in that moment. And it's so easy for us to be the same way. In fact, they scream like little girls. These grown men, it says they panicked. Uh, Tarasso, it just means horrified. They thought they saw, this is, they, can you imagine these guys screaming at the top of their lungs? Have you ever done that? Guys, be honest. With a cockroach? <laughs> horrified. You know, I, I love the humanness in the scriptures that they're just like us. They're not super spiritual. That's not what the scriptures point to. They point to real human beings who have been with the Savior, who love the Savior, imperfect as it is. 
as imperfect as it is, but yet they're real. They, in one sense, they're, I mean, Mark 4, they're in the boat and Jesus is, is sleeping. Like, why are you sleeping in this storm? I mean, how can you sleep in this storm? I mean, they're, they're rebuking the Savior. And in this sense, they're screaming like little schoolgirls. Ah! You know, like it, just the top of their lungs. This is a sad scene, but yet we're all there. You know, and even the skeptics, I mean, there's, they, they saw, they had no other reason to believe. They had no reason to believe why Jesus would walk on water to them. But Jesus was showing them that he does pursue us and rescue us and come to us when we drift, when we're in trouble. But skeptics say that the, the lake was shallow. Uh, Jesus probably just walked in the shallowness, the and then when Peter, eventually we'll see here, Peter gets out of the boat and also walks on water, but he was in the shallow waters. But you have to put all the scriptures together and the synoptic gospels and put them things together, realize stadias, it's just their way of measurement. It's 600 feet and they were many stadias or uh, away from the shoreline, which means several miles from the lake. There's no possible way that it was shallow where they were. This is a bona fide miracle. Jesus literally walked on the water as if it was like glass. And he passes by them. And, and uh, I think it's important to know that he didn't just pass by them. It, it, it's kind of confusing here, but it wasn't the best translation here. Is he, it says he passed by them. It wasn't like he was passing by them and saying, I hope they notice me, you know, and so that they could call on me and for me to rescue them. It was saying that he came alongside them. That's a better translation. He came alongside them because his one goal, his one focus was to pursue his own. And that is his one focus for you is to pursue you, to continue to come alongside you, to encourage you in the midst of crisis. And what does he say? He says, take courage. It is I. What does that sound like? It's just, a, you can't help but think, I mean, they would know this, uh, the original readers of this, uh, they would see this in the Greek and the uh, ego emi just means I am, which is in Exodus 3.14. This is the I am walking on water. This is the I am who comes alongside. This is Yahweh. You couldn't miss this. And then in, in uh, Peter, who, which is kind of interesting. You know, remember in the intro of this whole sermon series, we said that Peter helped Mark write this gospel to the Romans. And so Peter, this is interesting, but Luke doesn't describe this situation, but John does and Mark and Matthew. In Matthew, it shows another detail that, Mark, or that Peter simply just didn't want in this Gospel. I'm sure maybe Mark and Peter were arguing about this. Mark's like, hey, we need to get this in. No. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, Peter said, I don't want to be the focus of attention. And perhaps he showed a, a bit of humility here by not inserting himself into this passage that really the goal is to see the I am saying, take courage, do not be afraid. He says this over and over in this, throughout the scriptures in Acts 23, 11, that very night the Lord stood by his side, Paul, 
And he said, take courage for as you have solemnly borne witness to my cause in Jerusalem, you must bear witness at Rome. And then John 16, Jesus himself speaks to his disciples and he says, may you have peace, take courage. I've overcome the world. Jesus is pursuing us in order to give us encouragement. And today he gives us that encouragement through his word, through the people, through Acts, I'm sorry, for Ephesians 5 or Colossians 3. He, he prompts us through the Holy Spirit to give encouragements to us so that we give encouragements to other people as we're filled with his word, as we're filled with the spirit. That's why it's so important to, if you sense that prompting, even in a worship service, to go across the room and pray for that person. You never know how they need that. They need the word. We need to continue to do that as a church. And he does that. And he models that to us by walking across that lake, getting in their boat and saying, take courage. I've come to you. I am the great I am. And not only that, but then he asked Peter to get out of the boat too as well. But why would Peter ask Jesus to call him out of the water? I mean, you think about this, this scene where the waves are you know, all over the place. And I mean, this is clearly a time where I probably don't want to get out of the water. But Peter understands, he knows that Jesus has full control over the elements. He's seen it happen before. And so he's like, Jesus, if this is you, call me out. I, 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 I want to be with you. I want to be where you are at. It's more safer to be with Jesus outside the boat than to be without Jesus inside the boat. It's, we want to be where he is. That is the safest place to be. And in Mark 14, it pick, or Matthew 14, it picks up in verse 28. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to get out. And, he, and Jesus says, come. And getting out of the boat, Peter walked on water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you are of little faith. Why did you doubt? The reality is, is Peter is like all of us. He goes between this fear, faith, failure, right? Fear, faith, failure. And it's what he does. It's what we all do, right? We, I mean, there's times where like, we just have incredible faith. We're getting out on the water. We're doing what he's calling us to do. We have great confidence. And then all of a sudden fear comes in. We give into it and we fail. And what does he do? Jesus gets in the boat. And I don't know about you, but looking at this passage and other passages, other parallel passages, Jesus doesn't give him a lecture. He comes into the boat for one reason. He calms the storm. He says, I'm with you. I am the I am who is with you. Number four, he protects us when we're in danger. He gets in the boat. He gets in, into our world in the crisis. Do not feel alone. It says in Hebrews 13, 5, 6, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we can confidently say, this is for our encouragement. We can confidently say, when we experience the help of the Lord, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? It's rhetorical nothing. Nothing. If the Lord is for me, I have nothing to worry about. He, he can't cast me into hell. He can, yes, he can. He, the, the farthest he could go is kill my physical body, but then only to be in glory with God. Man can't ultimately destroy our souls. Only God can. 
And it's to provoke the fear of God that he, when he says he is with us, that gets this incredible encouragement. But you know, Jesus is, is not telling his disciples in some theoretical sense that I'm always with you, but he demonstrates that by getting off that mountain and coming to them and rescuing them physically by getting in the boat with them, into their crisis with them and loving them all the way through. And I would imagine, like you and me, I would, these disciples are start, starting to probably feel this. Hey, we are probably the lousiest disciples on the planet. Right? Literally, how many, I don't know about you, but how many times throughout the week have you said that in your head? I have got to be the lousiest disciple on the planet. If you don't, do that, then you don't understand the depravity of sin, depravity of man. I often feel like that. They probably say, we just keep messing up. Like everywhere we go, we, we, we seem to have some, some good moments. You know, we saw some people come to Christ in that sense. When we were out there, we saw provision, miraculous provision. We've seen Jesus do so much, but yet we find ourselves hard-hearted in the boat, and here he is again, saving our tails. That is the normal Christian life. Don't kid yourself. If feeling like eventually we'll get to a place where we don't need God. What a silly thought. I don't think anybody ever says that out loud, right? But we don't like dependence on him. But even the fact of, even in our independence, even in our hardness of heart, he continues to reach us. He continues to reach us even physically to come into our world, giving us timely encouragement. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says. Whenever they may, whatever, wherever they may be, the disciples, who, whatsoever their circumstances, the Lord Jesus sees them alone or in company, in sickness and in health, by sea or by land, in perils in the city or in perils in the wilderness, the same eye which saw the disciples tossed on the lake is ever looking at us. He says this, that we are never beyond the reach of his care. Our way is never hidden from him. He knows the path that we take and is still able to help. He may not come to our aid at the time we like best, right? He doesn't come like immediately on our timing. Sometimes he doesn't deliver us in that sense that when we think he's gonna deliver us, but he may come to our aid. He will come to our aid, I should say. He walked upon the water. He always comes at the right time to uphold his people. Though he tarry, let us wait patiently. Jesus sees us and will not forsake us. You know what, I can't promise you that he's always gonna protect you in that way that you think. You might get the diagnosis of cancer and die physically. You may not get the promotion. You may not get the very thing that you're asking for. I don't know what it is, but you, you, you may have the pop tire, the car accident. Things may not go exactly the way you want them to go. But he's saying, ultimately, and this is so true, because you're gonna hear these words ringing when things fall apart in your life. And think, God, where are you? 
But the reality is, is that he will deliver you to his loving arms in the end. Because this is not about, Jesus is is not even remotely interested in some earthly change in America, setting up, you know, earthly kings. It's just a a band-aid. It doesn't work. He's not interested in just giving you a meal because you're going to be hungry tomorrow. He's not interested in giving you just to, you know, to, just to heal you if that's like the end. No, because you're going to get sick the next day or the next in 10 years. So he heals you. Wonderful. Well, eventually you're going to have something and die of something. And even if he raises you from the dead, you're going to die again. In the case of Lazarus. And if you think you're a lucky soul and you're going to be like Enoch or Elijah, don't hold on to that hope. (laughs) I know I do once in a while. I'm like, well, I could be like him, I suppose. You know, just... (laughs) That would be nice, wouldn't it? I love this. What it says here in Matthew 14, it fills in the gaps here. It says that those who were in the boat, they worshiped him saying, you are truly God's son. It's almost like a light bulb went on. And it says here in the next verse, for they had not gained any insight about the lows, but their heart was still hardened. Jesus came for them, came to them because their hearts were hardened. He sent them away because their hearts were hardened. He didn't want them to harden their hearts even further. And disappoint them with their idea why Jesus came. He wanted them to see who he truly is and why he came for them. It was to save them from their sin. You truly are God's son. You are the one, it says here in Mark 4.41, you are the one who controls the winds and the waves. Oh, how we forgot again. How we just don't understand that if Jesus doesn't open up our eyes, if he doesn't touch our hearts, they will remain hardened and our eyes will remain closed. We are so dependent on him, it's not even funny. It is sheer foolishness to go throughout this life thinking we're in control of anything. And here again, Jesus pursues us, doesn't leave us in our sin, doesn't just leave us in our hardness, but pursues his own. Number five, and lastly, Jesus pastors us when we are hardened. You can trust that he's a good shepherd to pastor you spiritually. Yes, he provides for you. He does all these wonderful things in our life, but ultimately he's pastoring our hardened hearts. Unfortunately, After this incredible feeding of the 5,000, their hearts were still hardened. They didn't worship him then, and now they all of a sudden worship him because they see again he coming to his rescue again and again and again, which just shows us how the Christian life works, how we need him week after week, hour after hour, second after second. Calvin says this, the human heart has so many crannies where vanity hides, many holes where falsehood lurks is so decked out with deceiving hypocrisy 
that it often dupes itself. Our heart is the most precious thing that we have on this planet. Proverbs is clear, protected. Because there's a lot of things, news, media, situations in our life, they just, it's either going to harden or soften. We've got to get ourselves to the truth. And we're going to see here in a moment what really opened up Peter's eyes. It wasn't the miracles. It wasn't even really the walking on water, per se, although that helped. (laughs) Spurgeon says this, The heart is the rudder of the soul, and until the Lord take it in hand, we steer in in a false and foul way. we got to be careful. George Schwinnick, another Puritan, All the medicines which can be applied without the sanctifying work of the Spirit, though they may cover, they never cure the corruption and the diseases of the soul. We need the Spirit of God. Look, we, guys, I, 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 I would love to see the church, not only here, this church, but churches all across America, cry out and say, God, we need your Spirit to move in our lives. That's the only thing that's going to bring true transformation. Look, everybody needs to vote in a booth. I mean, just do your thing. Do it with a good conscience, informed, all that. But that is not our hope. Our hope is not making Jesus the president of the United States of America or using him to try to use him in a way to get what we want. A better uh, America, a better lifestyle, a more healthier lifestyle and using him in, in every little area of life. Yeah, he needs to permeate every area of life and that's different. That's different. Jesus needs to be the center of everything in our life and our marriage and our parenting. He needs to, the the, the word of God needs to be the center, but it's different. It's not using Jesus to get what we want. He's the center of everything because he's Lord and King and God. He's the rightful place in our homes and in our school and our workplaces. And we know that. We know there's going to come a day where he will rule and reign physically, but as of now, he rule and reigns in, through the church. Jesus knew their hearts, and so what did he do about it? He providentially moved them to protect them from the dangers of the lies, and he does the same today. Do not overstep those boundary lines. Do not move into the the place of lies. Do not listen to lies. They're all around us, guys. Don't be fooled. Your heart is precious to him. The second thing he does is he prays for our hearts to be opened. That's what he was doing on the mountain. He was sending them away saying, go, I'll be with you. I'll catch up with you later but I have some business with the father. What is he doing? He's saying, oh, father, I pray that their hearts would be open because if I don't pray for their hearts to be open, they will be just as hard as the crowds. And don't you understand that that is why he came to soften your heart towards him, to bring you into relationship with him, not to give you a free lunch. 
And so much of the church today is reduced to Jesus, gimme, 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 gimme. He didn't come to just satisfy your physical needs. Although he says, what did he say? If you seek first the kingdom of God, I'll provide everything else on. He came to save your soul. Number three, he softens our hearts by pursuing us, by intimately giving them. Isn't this so cool? He intimately gives them a testimony. He's saying, I have to physically come to them so that they would know that I pursue them and protect them. I have a plan for them. They're gonna change the world, Father. I know that that's why you've brought me to, I prayed in Luke, remember he says, I prayed for my disciples. You've given me them to me. And what does he say in John 10? Those uh, who, he, who the father gives Jesus, no one's gonna be able to snatch them out of my hand and your hand. These disciples had such security and Jesus wanted them practically to know that that you're not going to perish in this storm. I have an amazing plan for your life to protect you and prove that you are my own and to pass to them with encouragement, like take courage. He's given us, guys, he's given us this 66 books of the Bible to encourage us with truth. Read it every day. I guarantee you, just don't do an experiment. Don't test God. But look back at your week or weeks or months. See if you see a correlation to opening up the truth of God's word in the morning and throughout the day. And and see how your heart is more stirred for the things of God. How you love God more. How you know the truth, how he sets you free from sin and bondage. I say the opposite, rush through your day, neglect the word of God and see how your hearts will continue to get colder, harder. Because what faith comes by what? Hearing the word concerning Christ. You need to hear, take courage. You need to hear, be brave. You need to hear, I'm with you on a daily basis, hour by hour by hour by hour. Guys, we are utterly dependent on the Lord. And if you don't know that, you may find yourself in the middle of the sea with waves crashing against your boat. but Jesus won't leave you there. He'll discipline you. It says that in Hebrews 12, he will. When we are hard, we don't care. We're just cold. We talked about the conscience of Herod and how he seared his conscience over and over and where that led him. We're, we're building off of that truth from Mark 24, 25, that if you don't use the truth God gave you, you will lose it. You will lose it. So heed these warnings. Show, he's here to show that all of our hearts are the same way. C.S. Lewis says this, Jesus produced mainly three effects. Hatred, 
terror or adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. You can say that at the end of every message. You can say that at the end of every day, at the close of your day, there are three options for you as you meet Jesus. You either produce hatred in you, many do. Much of the world actually does. They hate God. The reason why they act the way they do is because they hate God. That's obvious. And maybe you're sitting here right now and you hate God. You don't want anything to do with them. If you could get out of your seat and run out the door, you would without embarrassment. You hate God. But maybe you're terrified of him. Maybe your problem is that you don't even know what to do with him. You're, you're, you're crying out, this is a ghost. I don't know what this is. It's terrifying. You're terrified maybe even in a, in a sense that he's going to strike you. But what Jesus was doing in this scene was he wanted to produce adoration in his disciples. And boy, they did, didn't they? Mark, Matthew fourteen thirty three is clear. They, when he got in the boat, they began to worship him saying, truly, truly, this is the son of God. And then as they miraculously got to uh, uh, the, it says in John six twenty one, as they miraculously, I, I don't know if they were just transported there because they were kind of in the middle of the lake and then they were, uh, John six twenty one. They they were at the shore. The storm stopped. They were suddenly at the shore. It was another miracle, I suppose you could say. And then here in verse, uh, the last the last section here in John. Six, if you want to turn there real quick and then we'll, we'll close, we'll pray. But in John 6, here's the words of Peter. After Peter got to experience this personal testimony in the boat, he says this. He shows up again. John 6, starting verse 66. Jesus shows them that he's the bread of life. That really I haven't come to give you free lunch, that I've come to be this all-satisfying bread. Ultimately, who you're going to be satisfied in is me. Come to me every day and you will be satisfied. And, you know, of course, the crowds didn't really care for that. They showed up again. They're like, you know, I'm not really interested in this. And one by one by one by one by one, they started scattering. And as a result of this, many of his disciples went away and they were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You just keep proving it over and over and over again. But that experience in the boat, me getting up out of the water and you proving yourself again to be God and how you lovingly pursued us, how you lovingly prayed for us, how you, you lovingly protected us. You are the Holy One of God. It's clear, I believe. You are the bread of life. There's nowhere for me to go. 
My life might have trial after trial, and you'll see Peter has many more trials after this. You can't, this is not a happy ending in that sense of the term. He died on a cross, upside down, as history says. And no one would die upside down on a cross if they weren't convinced that this truly is the good shepherd, truly is the Holy One of God. There's no way. And I think that we really only have church here, only one option, no matter what. We need to receive him this morning as God. We need to understand again and again and again that if we're his, he'll pursue us, he'll protect us, he'll pastor us because he's praying for us, he's interceding for us all the time and that truth will set you free. That truth will give you an immense amount of confidence and assurance. And that's what he wants for you this morning. So Father, thank you for giving us this incredible truth again and again, showing us how you pursue